Okay, all you podcast listeners, welcome back to PJ's Black Circle, episode eight already. We are very excited today. We are going to be delving into a very big topic. And as always, my topic master, my monster of the midway, Sir Wes, are you there? I'm here. How are you? I am great. I am great. We got a couple fun things today. So I'm going to have you introduce uh, our topic. Okay. And then I am going to introduce a very special guest on our show today. Okay. So last episode, we released the um, the inaugural email address, which is uh, podcastpjblackcircle at gmail.com. And we had a, our first longtime listener feedback, which asked us to kind of get into more of the grunge scene per se and uh, talk more about other bands that would fall into uh, the grunge kind of uh, era and the musical type. Uh, so we, if, it's, if it's good with you, let's, let's, let's expand our, our discussion outside of Pearl Jam for a little bit. And of course, they're a huge part of the, uh, the scene itself. Some people may cringe by hearing the words grunge scene, but that's, I guess, oh, yeah. how it maybe is. Uh, <laughs> that's how everybody probably correlates it with. So um, let's talk about some other bands today. Yeah, that sounds great. Well, we are bringing in a ringer today. I don't want to call him master of the grunge scene because he's not a big fan of the grunge word, but is a plethora of information. One of my longtime best bros. His name is Greg. Welcome to the PJ Black Circle podcast. How are you? I'm great. I'm glad to be here. This is awesome. Can't yeah. wait. You jacked up? Oh, I'm pumped. Let's go. Y'all, jack- y'all jacked up on Mountain Dew? Ready to go? Got my <laughs> cafe au lait and my Elvis Yeah, cup. you do. Nice. He's ready. I'm loving it. So we're going to try something new today with um, with kind of three people's different ideas. I think it's going to give a huge variety and some significant insight on what we're trying to do. So you, you brought it up, Wes, as perfect intro. The grunge term has a lot of connotations and there are folks that will simply just say grunge and they're like, oh yeah, I know what you're talking about. It's that music from the 90s. And then there's a lot of folks that really don't play into that particular description and don't really see it as a fitting connotation or example of what was truly going on in Seattle at the time, which is kind of where our focus is going to be. I think before we even get into what we would consider to be current kind of grunge music, it's almost like what is grunge? Is it a sound? Is it a look? Is it a fashion? Is it a way of life? Is it all of those things? For me, it does definitely encompass quite a bit of everything, but I feel it's always been about this kind of guttural sound, this really kind of angst feeling that comes through a lot of the music um, Wes, what do you what do you think early on in the game with that? Uh, channeling my inner grunge kind of look right now with my flannel. So you look uh, good. I know thanks, people can't man. see you, but man, you got it on. Uh, so yeah, you talked about the the look, but I, as mentioned, I didn't quite live through it in my later years. So just kind of doing research on grunge, I think it's like you said, it's a little bit more distortion on the guitar. It's more kind of anti-man type thing. Mm-hmm. You know, 
I was, I was kind of debating back and forth internally, like who actually falls in line with, with like what bands fall in line? Was it, is it just, you know, alternative rock basically in the early nineties or is there specific bands that shouldn't even be classified inside of grunge inside of that, um, that genre. Right. So, right. uh, for, for me, of course, I think everybody kind of focuses on the, the top two in that era, which was you know, Nirvana and Pearl Jam. And of course, mm-hmm. our podcast is centers around Pearl Jam. But even I've heard some snippets from from Kurt Cobain that's saying, you know, Pearl Jam shouldn't even be considered grunge because they're too good at their instruments. Oh, I if, yeah. yeah. I don't I, know if I saw that interview. Yeah. So I don't know if that has any any play to if whether or not bands fall in, inside that that box or not. But there's a lot of history there and it starts, you know, in that Pacific Northwest. And, but yeah, I'd love to hear from, from the guys that live that, that age. That, yeah. That well, I wonder if that Kurt Cobain, it sounds, it sounds like kind of a compliment in a weird kind of roundabout Kurt Cobain way. Mm-hmm. So uh, before I pass it to uh, the head chief of huge insights to this area of music. So I looked up uh, all things, wikipedia which basically is the master of you know it's true you know it's true yeah it's just yeah you know whatever so <laughs> let's let's see if this if this makes sense so grunge sometimes referred to as seattle sound alternative rock genre subculture that emerged during the mid-1980s in the pacific northwest and washington grunge fuses elements of punk rock heavy metal featuring distorted electric guitar uh, sounds with both genres. Lyrics are typically angst-filled and introspective, often addressing themes such as social alienation, self-doubt, abuse, neglect, betrayal, social and emotional isolation. Yeah, so they're not talking about girls, girls, girls in these these lyrics, right? No, but God, that, we should do that sometimes because <laughs> I love that video and don't Moving get me past, sidetracked. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, Greg, do you think, Sir Greg, is that a very apt description of this very broad topic we are trying to impress upon here today? I like I said, I hate the word grunge because it's it's got so many ties to it. But I think it as a sound more than an image. Yep. And it goes way back to the '60s. I mean, even in the Pacific Northwest, there was this band called the Sonics. And mm-hmm. if you listen to that band and you listen to Mud Honey. They're almost mm-hmm. the same band, but two different decades. Really? They they have that same kind of growly guitar and they were a garage band and they kinda nice. they kinda popped around this this area for you know, mid to late sixties. So obviously, you know, we were talking last uh, episode, Wes and I, and I was talking about Mark Arm quite a bit from Mud Honey and just how I love his mm-hmm. just raw punky vocals yeah i haven't really heard too much if anything of the sonics did they have kind of a yeah. similar lead singer yeah i mean that's they were like a garage band they didn't dress like in suits in the time period you know a right. lot of those bands you know in the late 60s had wore suits because of the british invasion and all that stuff sure but they were jeans and cut off shirts and that kind of stuff attaboy that's the way to get it done. Yeah, and then even even <laughs> later on in the like early '80s, there was a band up here. They were, I would consider them like the Godfathers of grunge. If there if there was anything, they were called the U Men, and they pretty much toured the whole United States. But they were kind of punky. They were that drop D sound, that growl. So it went from a little Sonics to the U Men, 
And then do you have any ties to uh, the era right before, say, like Pearl Jam, Alice in Chains, like, you know, say, like some Sonic Youth or some oh, Green yeah. River? Well, do like Soundgarden, uh, when they came out, they were like 87 ish, I want to say mm-hmm. 87, 88. When they started popping around, they kind of were like kind of that Black Sabbath kind of sound, but they did they weren't metal like metal uh, not Metallica or Motley Crue or anything like that. They were just kind of different. So it took them a few years to actually pop off, you know. Sure. Well, Chris Cornell was definitely the guy on the scene mm-hmm. at the time. Yeah. Everybody in the local area knew who Chris Cornell was. Yeah, for sure. Uh, that community was obviously very tight at the time. And a lot of that tightness came through a city that at the time was was very poor. Mm-hmm. It was a working class city, blue collar. It was not even close to the Seattle that we know today with Microsoft and Amazon and Boeing. Well, Boeing was always around, yeah. but still all these. Yeah, all these huge white collar tech companies. It's not even the same city anymore. So. Wes, knowing what you know about grunge, do you feel that maybe based on this particular lucky neck of the universe that we're living out here in the Pacific Northwest, did that type of surroundings kind of lend itself to a particular way of living or a sound or a style? I guess so. Yeah. I mean, I'm wearing, like I said, I'm wearing flannel right now. That is very, (laughs) very, very very connected to like a lumberjack kind of look, right? That's kind of thank you Seattle for that. Or, or, yeah, right. And uh, you know, I actually spent some time um, when I first moved out to Washington in this small town called Montesano, oh, yeah. uh, which is about fifty miles west of Olympia. And uh, there was a band. I don't know anything about these guys. I tried listening to them this morning in preparation, but uh, couldn't get into it. It's called the Melvins. Oh yeah. And, uh, oh, yeah. you know, Kurt Cobain, who he, he would probably also be in that godfather of grunge along with Chris Cornell kind of, or I think even Nirvana was started in the late eighties. I mean, a little bit earlier than Pearl Jam, but you know, Kurt used to hang out with those guys, uh, you know, he'd be in, in Aberdeen. So yeah, it could be the blue collar and small town for that kind of start. Uh, and like you said, Seattle was never was not the Seattle that we know today. So it's much much quainter and, and smaller. But but it also rained a lot. Everybody always thinks that people in Seattle are depressed, and there there probably is some environmental stuff too, as far as people are <laughs> are inside all the time on the PJ twenty. Uh, That's why uh, there's so much right, coffee. Cameron Crow. Right. So <laughs> again, I think it's, it's a our happy of, juice. I, mean, I don't think you can ever do that again. I don't think you'll ever see it again. Where one pocket of and Seattle's probably had a a few of these, right? They've kind of had a few kind of booms, whether it's the grunge or then it's the indie rock stuff, but it's unique, man. And I don't know if it's, again, I don't know if it's, if it's the people or the landscape or whatever it is, but it's, it's, it's a pretty cool trip. And uh, thank God it happened. It feels like that to me, uh, having lived here for so long and we'll get into the whole coffee with your side of heroin appetizer (laughs) here in a little while, the great destructor of all awesome grunge singers so what i found was interesting and and it stands to reason is when bands at the time were looking or kind of feeling out this new sound most of the folks in this genre of music weren't really getting down with the whole glam rock scene 
right? They didn't really fall in line with the poison and the motley crew no. and the warrant. It was dark white snake. Much darker than it that. was much it was much darker, right? And so for that style of music, you have this very Hollywood vibe, cars, mm-hmm. chicks, yeah. money, flash, heavily produced albums, and that is a very expensive way to make a record. So you have a lot of these younger kids mm-hmm. that are taking this inspiration from a lot of punk rock, a lot of, you know, maybe some alt rocks. Definitely when you said Black Sabbath, Greg, that's, mm-hmm. I hear, like when I listen to Black Sabbath, dude, I just hear just the early sproutings of this yeah, music sure. that we love so much, this really slow, slow build, and then it gets fast and it goes slow again. It's a very Nirvana way. But getting back to my point, these people, these musicians had no money. And so they didn't have the money to do all these huge, massive edits to these get these soundboards in place. So they left a lot of this really tonal resonance that's going throughout their music, which has come to light in this quote unquote grunge sound, this really guttural, mm-hmm. deep rainy day vibe. Rain, yeah, but rainy day vibe. You know, what do you what do you think about that, Greg? Does that sound about right to you? I would say for sure. Yeah, I mean, in the winter time, it rains here. What sometimes ninety days straight. Yeah, not awesome. Yeah, and no one no <laughs> one has umbrellas or galoshes. You know, they just walk around in the in the sopping wet in their flannel. And, and they're Doc Martens. And they're drinking coffee, you know? Then they, then they go to band practice and let it all out. Just interject on that, Greg. Uh-huh. Is, you know, so like when Mother Lovebone and then um, Stone and Jeff, mm-hmm. um, of course, wanted to do something different, you know, after Andy died and, and bringing up Ed from San Diego, you know, there's no, there must have been the similar sound because I've heard some of Ed's prior band, which I think is called Bad Radio. I mean, it doesn't sound that far off of what you would hear from Pearl Jam. So right. I wonder if that it wasn't just isolated in the early '90s, as I think it in Seattle, as it because he was down in San Diego. So I wonder if it was just like, like a a big compilation at the time, which is centered in Seattle, where but other places were also kind of playing those jams. Sure, too, yeah, kind of and, that, and that's kind of the reason why I don't classify Pearl Jam as grunge. They just don't have that that growly low end dark sound like all these, like the Melvins or Nirvana or Soundgarden, especially over their past four or five albums. Right. right? And but if you go back to like green river, they were grunge, you know, they had stone and Jeff and Mark arm and Steve Turner. They were, have you ever heard of a EP called uh, deep six? I want to get that. You should get it. Cause that is like the, that's, that's grunge to me. Those six bands, Pearl Jam, not so much. I don't know. I don't know why I have a hard time saying that, but it's right. <laughs> it's, it's okay. We are in the tree of trust here, brother. Whatever you feel, I would I would take <laughs> Pearl Jam and take them out of the grunge scene and put them in their own thing. Okay, what this is this is where I wanted to drive today, Greg. Which is thank you for leading this. Now, who really fits in it then? Because um, I've had conversations with other people about, well, why aren't, you know, is, is Allison, I even thought, is Allison Chains grunge or is that heavy metal? Is Stone is, is Stone Temple Pilots, is that grunge or is that something else, alternative rock? Or- right. Yeah, I get it. Yeah. Um, I think Allison Chains, they're borderline. I mean, they really are. 
they're I think they're more metal than they are. I would say grunge. You know, I hate that word. I really do. <laughs> because I have a my own vision of grunge is different. I think than like say MTV's version of grunge. Of course, that makes because sense. you know when I first moved here, I'd go to a you know there was all these clubs around town, and you could see a band that was local. That was grunge to me. That was like they weren't metal and they weren't pop. They weren't Motley Crue or anything else like that. It was dark. It was punky. It was and you can go any day of the week and see a band, and it was awesome. And some of some of them made some of them made it and some of them didn't, you know, some of them got killed. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about that. Was that down in Pioneer Square? Who who do you remember kind of seeing what what stood out to you? Uh, the very first show I ever went to in Seattle was the Gits and Image. And it was uh, the Gits were this scrappy little punky band with a female lead singer named Mia Zapata. She was awesome. She was in your face. You know, she almost kicked me in the face when I was at the show. Because, you know, I was just right there. She had dreads and stuff and wore cut off jeans and a tank top. And and that was probably the very first taste of Seattle music that I ever saw. And uh, six months later, she was dead because she got killed up on Capitol Hill. And that was a sad story. But I that's a whole nother show. I'd go down to Pioneer Square, pay the, you know, six bucks and get into 12 venues. And each venue had a different band that um, was featured like... um, Alice in Chains played the Central Tavern all the time down in Pioneer Square. God, wouldn't that just be awesome? Yeah. Or the Color Box. The Color Box was a good venue, too. You could see, you know, Lazy Susan or Hammerbox or, you know, whoever was playing that night. Right. Wow. We missed it, Wes. We missed yeah, it really. all. Dang, six bucks for 12 yeah. bands going any place you want? And you, you want? can go in and out. I mean, because you just, you just got a stamp on your wrist and you're like, in and out. Like one one bar had like reggae. You know, well, they don't make them like they used to anymore. That's for but sure. But it was a big competition too to get the biggest local bands down in that area because that's what sold the the tickets. You know, right? The six, right. The more six bucks you got, you know, it was cool, man. It was really cool. And when you're all oh, the off ramp, dude, was like one of the best places to ever see shows. That's where it all started for our boys in PJ. Yep. Actually, I got a story about that. Um, they played a secret show. In 1993, I think it was, and me and my friends found out about it, and we went down to the off ramp, and there was probably a hundred kids outside this place trying to get in, and you couldn't get in. So, you know, after people started leaving, there was like where the load in doors are, mm-hmm. you could see the stage through this crack in the door, and there's all of us were like trying to peek through these cracks to see Pearl Jam, and we could just like see a little sliver of them, but we could hear them. We're like, oh my god, there they are, well, you know. This is 1993, and it's like, holy shit, this is fucking big-ass band playing at the off-ramp. That's awesome. Yeah, and um, Alice in Chains used to do that quite a bit, too. They'd play Rock Candy under a different different name, and you'd never mm-hmm. know. Someone would always find out, and then there'd be like, it would be blown. So, Nino, do you think Nirvana would still be the kind of the, the pinnacle grunge band then? I mean, just as far as popularity goes, I mean, they're... Are you and Greg, you I, hinted on I it. I would then. say so, yes, yeah. for sure. Yeah, Nirvana is probably the the king when it came to that era. And that's even yeah. probably as popular as popularity during that time. Even Pearl Jam probably came in second, to be all frank. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I, I would agree. At the time, I was listening to just a ton of Nirvana. And it's weird because I don't, 
listen to it as much as I used to at the time when it was going on. Um, I'd listened to quite a bit while they were a live visceral band. I never got to see them. But when Kurt passed, I, I definitely listened to a lot at that t- time. And then it just, you know, they kind of faded away a little bit for me. And I think the reason is Soundgarden and Alice in Chains and Pearl Jam, obviously they were still around and they kept putting out more music and more albums. So then I just started trending to, to folks that had a bigger library. And it's, oh man, it's hard because you go back and there's, you know, it's the age old issue. There's just so much talent and what could have happened mm-hmm. had people still been around. I've been saying that ever since Jim Morrison, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, what Jimmy if? Hendrix. Yeah, what if? Yeah, the whole what if. How would Jimmy be at 79 years old or whatever he is, you know? He'd probably look like <laughs> um, John Lee Hooker and just tapping his foot, but he'd still be setting guitars on fire, probably. <laughs> That'd be funny. <laughs> yeah, it would be it would be amazing. And I wonder if at the time, you know, I know we're kind of jumping all over the place, but would we have gotten so much of the sound had how how much does Jimi Hendrix play into this? Right. If right. anything, because best guitar player ever from Seattle, you know, obviously Mike McCready does a lot, loves a lot of Jimi Hendrix, loves a lot of Jimmy Page, pulls a lot from yeah, Zeppelin a, a and good, Sabbath. Good mix of all that. Right. So underrated too, dude. I think Wes and I were talking about just how underrated Mike McCready. Well, not to us. We know how yeah. freaking awesome and I, he, he is. He melts my face all, every time. Yeah, he is a face melter, <laughs> you know. But getting back to Nirvana, yeah, I would definitely say just the whole feel of the band. The lyrics are extraordinarily just, I mean, they're super depressing. I, I don't know if there's a very happy nirvana song uh i do remember the first time i heard of nirvana it was obviously smells like teen spirit i never had the album bleach before that but when i saw it on mtv i was like wow this is kind of a game changer and i kept wanting to kind of see that video and i couldn't tell if i was just wanting to see it because of the music if i was wanting to see it because of the actual visuals that was in that particular video I just knew it had this really raw feeling. And when Dave Grohl just sets it off oh. on the drums on that song, dude, mm-hmm. it's just just explodes from there. And what a huge album Nevermind was like that album is still amazing. Even if I don't yeah. listen to a lot of Nirvana, just turn that in, crank it yeah. up. Yeah, it's You're right. It's fantastic. And I heard a funny story. I heard a funny story um, from the president of the United States of America the the band yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah where they were doing a documentary they were talking about nirvana and they said i think the i don't know who the lead singer is i think he does some um he does some children's sing- songs yes. now actually yep. uh and uh he had basically was jokingly saying you know after smells like teen spirit came out he was like it, it, it you couldn't sell a record in seattle anymore just over like like you said it's game changer like nothing was ever going to be the same right yeah when I first saw that video on MTV, I was like, holy shit, this is insane. And then this, the kind of music I listened to in Arizona when I was growing up in, in Arizona. Right. You know, right. And I'm like, this will, that kind of music will never be on MTV ever. And then boom, Nirvana comes on and I'm like, holy shit, this is it. Our scene made it. You know, that's what I'm thinking. It, we finally made it, you know, after all these years. And I think the whole allure of 
the quote unquote grunge is really epitomized through that because you can't really see any of the band's faces, mm-hmm. right? I can't see cursed very well. Nope. I can't see Dave looks like animal behind yep. the drum. Mm-hmm. It's just like crazy black hair everywhere. Kurt, you can't really see his face at all. You've got this scene in this warehouse with all these kids. It was a gymnasium. Yeah. Yeah, it's a gymnasium uh, warehouse type thing. symbols on the cheerleaders, they turned black, and it was like, oh, wow. That was hot. Then they know, started destroying like, the the equipment and all this other stuff. Like, right? yeah, do it. I know. I was going to say, I, I, and just another touch point on Smells Like Teen Spirit, where you know Kurt kind of mimicked that song like against his angst towards like kind of jocks, like yeah. the term jock, right? Mm-hmm. Right. And it just so happened, like, he was p- pretty pissed off that it was like a jock, ne- like, anthem. Like, all the jocks in the world. Like, <laughs> that's all, like just like pregame music. Like, put Smells Like Tea Spirit on. Let's go. And around the track yeah. with that in <laughs> yeah. your headphones. Yeah. You know, a irony. It, it's, yeah. it's crazy. We've got these tortured souls that are putting so much poetry into this music. And it's just, it's so sad. It's so sad to have so much pain in your life that it it really overtook a lot of who some of these musicians were and we weren't able to get more more out of a particular person like a like a Chris Cornell obviously he was around a little bit longer or Lane Lane yes. you know for sure Dude, Lane I, some people say Lane had the best pipes of all time of anybody he's, he's amazing yeah and even like on that, um, on the unplugged, yeah, Allison Chains, dude, he is totally, awesome. he is totally fucked up, mm-hmm. but he sounds amazing. Like he just looks like he is heroined out on that thing. Oh yeah, and he's like barely awake, and his eyes are barely open, and he's kind of doing this thing, and but he just sounds fantastic. And so that is the the beauty of it i mean without this kind of tortured animal that we've got in a lot of these singers we wouldn't have had this fantastic music but at the same time it really lent itself to this very self-destructive behavior and we weren't able to and it's and it's totally selfish as a listener and i'll be the first one to say it yeah i wish i could have got more so i feel bad because i know these people were in pain and they were hurting and they were struggling but man I just wish I could just get just a little bit more out of Lane and a little bit more out of Kurt Cobain. And and it was just it was just a bummer when they all just started going down like dominoes. Yeah. I just remember it all happening. And I was like, come on, someone has to pull through. Yeah. And well, someone did. Yeah, right. <laughs> right. And I think even um, good, good point, you know, because. When on the PJ20 episode, and because Andrew Wood went through that, right? That's, you know, he OD'd uh, with Mother Love Bone. And, you know, Stone was making a mention like, we got Ed and we heard his demo and it was great. We got him up. And the best thing is he wasn't all messed up. Mm-hmm. Like he wanted to work. Like he was in it just for the art and, and the, the music. And he didn't want to take, you know, weeks off just to go binge, you know, on something. You know, I'm sure he and others i know mike had some stuff but i'm sure ed's been through his his stuff too but sure. you know, one of the things that stone was so surprised and, and happy to see which is clearly a, a product of the, the time uh of substance abuse that he really you know he's focused on music and he, yeah like you said he's 
we didn't lose Ed, which would have been, oh. that'd have been tragic. Oh, I, yeah, I don't, I don't even want to think of that, man. It's like, I wouldn't know what to do. Like, seriously, I would just be freaking out if our main man wasn't around anymore. So jumping back into our discussion, we've got these fantastic singers that are no longer with us. Mm-hmm. Okay. We got Scott Weiland. So would you yes. consider Stone Temple Pilots grungy? I would. I would. I think so. so. Yeah. They had that. They had that heavy Led Zeppelin influence kind of guitar playing and stuff with that. For sure. With that growly vocals, you know. So uh, let me ask a, a general question. Did the, the grunge name or the grunge genre turn into alternative rock in the late 90s? and early 2000s or was it always alternative rock but then just a little isolated time period for grunge because i would have called stone temple pilots more just alternative rock yeah. if that has any difference at all well that's another reason why i don't like the the term grunge is because it is alt rock i mean it really is alternative to molly crew what was happening at the time absolutely i remember when eddie and the boys got their first grammy Yeah. So I remember when Eddie and the boys got their first Grammy and they're up on stage receiving the award and Ed's kind of doing this thing at the podium. He's got his he's got his hand on his face and he's like, I I really don't know what this means. And they were just very anti award show, any of that. It just when he was saying that, I, I can totally imagine in my brain that if you said, hey, Ed, what what's grunge to you? I could just see him putting his hand over his face and be like, I don't really know what this is. I just envision these guys loving the music that they grew up on with a, a huge amount of different influences that you have going on. Everything from like Sleater Kinney to Led Zeppelin to Black Sabbath to the Pixies oh, yeah. to the Melvins. Just this huge range of varied musical backgrounds and just a bunch of guys and girls just doing their thing, just making tunes, creating a sound. I can imagine a lot of the band performers at the time being like, OK, I know what I definitely don't want to look like and I know what I definitely don't want to sound like. But I never really heard in, say, Pearl Jam songs, them just totally trashing on hair metal. No, right. No. I just never really heard a song that was like hair metal is crap. I'm never <laughs> going to be that way. Screw the man. I mean, there's a lot of anti-establishitarianism, if I'm even saying that correctly, in a lot of Pearl Jam's music. But I never really got that from Soundgarden and Alice in Chains, just really full on in their songs talking about how bad glam rock was. Now, having said that, most of the performers at the time, like Ben Shepard from Soundgarden and Kurt Cobain and a lot of other performers were like, I don't know what this whole grunge thing is about. It doesn't make sense to me. We just live our lives and people are trying to basically turn a fast buck yep. on a sound, on a look, on an image. And I'm I'm with you, Greg. It's the, the term grunge. When I when I hear it on different like radio programs, like we're going to do the top 30 greatest grunge rock songs of all time. I know I know that that term is used to create a certain feeling and they're going to make a playlist around that. But 
for me, it just doesn't really hold a candle to what was actually going on mm-hmm. at the time, right. which was just this huge mix of different types of sounds. And they just managed to put out something in a certain area of the country that produced this global phenomenon that we call grunge, right? Yeah. You know, what's fun to look at is the how many different bands in Seattle played with each other around town before they were in the current bands they were in. I mean, it's like a family tree that's huge. It's a it's a huge tree. Yeah. What, yeah. what members came out of this band to form this other band, which was this other band and it's like, wow, okay, that's the big swirl. It was all about the live show at that time. And you were lucky enough to be able to go and get some taste and some flavor of that. If I ever wish there was YouTube at the time yeah. and cell phone cameras, it would have been at that. Po- well, there's a lot of bands I wish we could have had more footage of, but I would have loved to have seen just this cool, maybe little mini concerts or little snippets of all of these different people on stage with 150 people in the crowd, yeah. just all sweaty and dirty and raw angst going on. I would, I wish we had more of that. There's some cool photos yeah. out there of it, but I just wish we had more video of what we would envision to be like a super group or a super band on stage on a random Wednesday night. Super suckers at the off ramp. That was one of I stumbled into it and, and I knew the super suckers from Arizona before they moved up here. And I walked into the off ramp, didn't even know who was playing. And, uh, they came on and I was like, Holy shit, this is fucking pretty cool. These guys are from Arizona, but they were portraying themselves as from Seattle because I guess that's, they were trying to get signed or whatever, because that's what was happening. All these bands were coming in from out of town because this was the hotbed of music at the time. Right. Absolutely. And they tore the roof off the off ramp. It was like, so cool. There was a lot of bands coming into town that I know a lot of the local bands didn't appreciate none too much Mm -hmm. trying to come in and and exploit the idea of the grunge sound and kind of make it their own. So I know there was definitely some tension going on at the time, but we we all I think the three of us can't deny of how successful that particular sound of music that came out from the late 80s to the mid 90s was these guys sold an amazing amount of records. Oh, yeah. Right? Yeah. Like yeah. I was reading that verse versus when versus came out, it sold just under a million copies in the first week. Yeah. I was in line at Tower Records at midnight for that one. Hell yeah, dude. And that's what's so cool about that time frame. As we know now, we're in this area of technology where we have this instant gratification and things can come to us quickly. And the three of us, we work very hard, but you could also make the argument that you might not have to work as hard these days because you can acquire so much in a relatively short amount of time by, I know we work and we think work is physical activity and moving around and doing things, which it would, it had to be that way. If you're a music fan, Mm -hmm. how many times if you are really in love with a band, are you going to have to go? into some dark alley in Seattle for a show you can't get into and put your ear up against the building <laughs> so you can try and hear Nirvana mm-hmm. or Alice in Chains or whoever's playing or get like a get like a smell of kind of what's going on in the inside of the of the party place going on. How many times do you have to go 
to Tower Records at midnight mm-hmm. for your favorite band and get the new album. I mean, you had to work for it. You had to stand in line for tickets. You had to actually physically go get the material so you could bring it home and enjoy it. That's kind of the fun of it, though, right? That, the right. discovery. That's kind of the fun. Like, right. Absolutely. I don't know how many of you guys like had to wait in line for tickets. Oh, for I got a great hours story about that. And, and nothing's guaranteed. Yeah, go for it, man. Uh, it was for the PJ shows at the Mercer Arena in 1993, the December shows. They had played three shows. I think it was three. And, uh, and I used to live up on Queen Anne at the time. And so I walked down to Tower, huge line, round the block for tickets for all three shows. And I was in line for oh, probably a couple hours, probably, whatever. Got to the window and boom, sold out. Came right. I was that I was right there. Oh, and I was like, oh, you've got to be kidding me right now. So I was pretty jaded rough, about dude. that. And and that's the, <laughs> like right now when I try and get tickets on Ticketmaster, I have that same kind of like nervous feeling. I'm totally watching the clock tick down to 10 a.m. or whatever it's going to be. They sell out super fast. I mean, like, it's like 30 seconds so sometimes. Fast. Yeah. And I don't know what's more fair, doing it this way or going and standing in line and just first come first serve and people got to camp out. I just, I just know when I go to the Pearl jam shows and the people that are in the front row, like if they win the lottery, it it's just the amount of effort these folks are putting into to get close to the stage. And they're, you know, camping out for one, two, three days before the show's going on. Mm-hmm. I know Wes, you went to see some shows at Wrigley and yep. they had a cool, they had some cool footage about, you know, people are just, they're just out there and they're taking turns sleeping on the street and mm-hmm. just to get into the show. Um, did you see any of that when you yeah, just so, show? It, uh, okay. So we went up uh, to Wrigleyville the day of, so by the time we arrived, yes, there were people already camped out. So right. uh, I think, I think the most of them were there for at least one day, maybe two nights. Uh, but that's dedication, man. And that's, but that kind of folds into the whole the, the scene, right? It's it's passion and it's it's uh, desire and it's 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 emotion. As I mentioned, I'm a pretty, I'm a diehard Pearl Jam fan. I would love to do that myself because it's it's another story. But yeah, there there still has and like we said earlier, man. Like a lot of these bands have have kind of stayed on. Like we haven't even talked about like the Foo Fighters um, or anything in depth with with the Alice in Change kind of 2.0. Um, but yeah, a lot of these bands have still have staying power and even a lot of the records, like we've said, like with Nirvana or any Soundgarden records, these are always so still really good. Of course, you know, we, this is the music that we like to hear, but I think you could still put any one of those records up against anything and it would still, it, it still rock, rock the house. Oh, for sure. Any Absolutely. of those bands, any of those bands. And really what it, what it really means to me is that it was such a unique and special time to have all those conglomerate of bands. And like, we've all talked about, like they were pretty close knit. I don't know if Nirvana was close with the other bands, Greg, or Nino, you might know more about that. I don't know if they were kind of on the outside, but like with the Soundgarden and Pearl Jam and Allison Chains, I think we're relatively pretty tight. And then I don't know, like I'm pretty sure Nirvana, box. Nirvana pretty much stuck to their themselves. I'm pretty sure that's right. That went down. And then if you look at like the second generation of like the, the generation right behind Pearl Jam would have been like the Candlebox, yeah. uh, which is a Seattle band. Sweetwater. Uh, and I would. Yeah. So it's just it, it just lent itself so many great music uh, and great artists. Um, 
I'm just lucky that we're talking about it. You know, you mentioned Wes, the, uh, just the passion of our fans. Would you guys say that Pearl Jam almost has like a Grateful Dead type following? I would say so. Right? For sure. I mean, you got people that travel all over the place all from all and all the over world. the country. And they come to various shows. Now, you know, I've, I've joked oftenly about, you know, I wish I was independently wealthy so I could just like cruise around and like listen to music all day yeah. and see the boys play you know, 52 times a year when they're touring, which is an amazing dream and it'll probably never happen. But when I see these folks that are are cruising around and, and going from show to show and the band starts to recognize these people's faces, mm-hmm. that amount of commitment is crazy. And I've never really heard of that type of massive following for, say, Soundgarden or Alice in Chains or Stone Temple Pilots, or Hole, or whoever. And it seems like it's it's generation after generation. You have the folks that were in their teens and early 20s in the 90s that are still doing this. And now you have folks that are in their 20s, right? Early 20s, that are still traveling all over the world. And I think that's what makes it so special about the band that we center this podcast around, which is our ultimate Pearl Jam fantasy. We all have this idea of what it would be like to travel around and be with these guys and be a roadie or set up their stage or do whatever. But it's amazing the staying power that Pearl Jam has. And it's cool to see it move to the next generation. And that's just something that you just don't see with any other bands. So do you think it could be, I've got kind of three ideas on that. So one could be, A, they're still putting out new music. Okay, so they're still putting out fresh new music so they can maybe and and they do actually I mean, they play a wide range of music so they can they could play hard stuff or they do a lot of slow burns to kind of cater not only like we mentioned last podcast, which was just the the 19 year old, you know, angst male. Now they're catering to some a lot of the female um, listeners as well. And then. Yeah, mainly uh, oh the set lists and they they do such fresh set lists too. Yeah, so Ed did that too. They did a they did different set lists every time. They never knew what they were going to play. It was just like fly out, you know on the fly. So it makes you want to have another experience because you're not going to hear it's the FOMO fear of missing yeah. out. Yeah, it's that. That's it. Yeah, I've never heard that the FOMO yeah, fear of missing out. Dude, I think I got a lot of FOMO in my life right now when it comes <laughs> to my concerts. Yeah. And especially with all the concerts that were canceled Uh, over this past year that we're all set to go. uh, My FOMO is at an all time high and I'm, I'm waiting patiently till things are safe so I can like reinvest myself to getting back out there. Cause I just, I have this need for live tunes and it's just, as it opens back up again, I'm buying all the tickets, all of them. Oh, okay. Okay. Wes, you heard it. Greg, (laughs) Greg, Greg's buying dude. He's sporting for us. We're, we're going. <laughs> we are going. Um, this has been an amazing segment, and this is going to have to be two, maybe even a three-part series. So I would say to all of our listeners, this one is not done. We are going to continue this conversation to next week's podcast, and I think start to get a little bit more into the band's music themselves and maybe a little bit more of some of the songs that really 
drove the scene to prominence what bands are still rocking and keeping this mantle going for this hard rock music that we're loving so much so are you guys down to do yeah that sounds another good. one cool. next week sure. yeah. yeah any closing thoughts there greg that you've got for uh the grunge scene or the lack thereof or the word we hate the most. Um, <laughs> you know, I think maybe why I don't like it so much is because MTV blew it up so hard that they just destroyed it for me. And then there was like the Kmart and the, and the Sears and everything was like flannel for a hundred bucks, you know, that kind of shit, <laughs> right. you know, it was, it was like, you couldn't buy a flannel shirt for under a hundred bucks at one point. And your Doc Martens are $238. Yeah. yeah. I hear you, man. That capitalism will yeah, think, bite you in the I boo-boo. Think that's, I think that's what I'm so jaded about when it comes to the word grunge. But I don't know. That's just that's just me, I guess. What about you, Wes? You got any closing thoughts on this bad boy? Uh, no, I, I'm, I think next week there will be some discovery for me, too. Because like I said, I, I, I know all these other bands. But I think it's uh, it'd be a good exercise for me to dive into some of the other yeah dude other songs we gotta send we gotta send west some stuff we're gonna expand this guy's horizons greg so find the and i don't know why we didn't mention this but sub pop they have a compilation called sub pop 200 okay go find that okay download it get a cd i don't know but um that will open your eyes to what the early days of grunge here were We'll All see right. if it's too hard for you, Wes. You you probably probably All right, we'll see. <laughs> you know what? Uh, we'll see how it goes. All right, gentlemen. And with that, this has been another amazing episode of PJ's Black Circle. We will see you all next week. Keep rocking.